Good morning, OneChurch.tv and Grace Life Church. What's up? So glad that you are here with us. I'm excited to be here. Uh, glad that you're here. Before we get started in the message, let me say a special shout out and what's up to three groups of people. If this is your first time here at OneChurch.tv or your first time in a long time, just want to echo Luther and Thomas and say welcome. We're so glad that you chose to connect and uh, be with us this morning. Also want to shout out a really special group of people here uh, in our One Church and Grace Life family, and that is our VIPs, our serve team. Those who show up early, stay late, run cameras, watch kids, do all of the stuff that allows Sunday to happen. We're so thankful for you, and if you're not in one of those teams, I encourage you, uh, you're missing out. It's a great way for you to engage in the life of the church. And finally, want to say thanks and what's up to anyone who is connecting with us through the onechurch.tv app. Those who are listening to the podcast, maybe you're listening to this podcast later on in the week at gracelifeclarksville.com or onechurch.tv. What's up to you? Maybe you're in the overflow room. How are you? Glad that you all are here. Let's make these three groups very welcome today. We're glad you're here. Awesome. All right. We're continuing our friending series. Uh, Grace Life Church, we're in a series uh, called Life-Giving Marriage. So we're talking about uh, that community of relationships and marriage and all that. So just the theme of the church as a whole, as you look around just across churches in America, we're all really tuned into. I think this is what God wants us to be talking about. I know Mana Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina, Impact Churches are doing a, a series on life-giving relationships. And so I just think it's really neat that uh, God's speaking to all of these churches, all of our churches at the same time about a very important topic, and that is our relationship. So we're going to spend some time in Acts chapter 2, and we'll get there a little bit later on in the message. Let me dive right in and, and kind of recap the, the main thought, the key thought of this entire series, and that's simply this. You show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. The reality of our situation is this. You and I will become like those we spend the most time with. Now, Jesus was a friend of sinners, the Bible tells us, and we read that, and some think that's licensed to just hang around people who desperately need Jesus because we may win them by our lifestyle. And there's a little bit of truth to that. But the one thing we forget is that Jesus never went anywhere alone. Okay, never is a strong word. There's a couple of times he went somewhere alone. Once we see that he went out into the desert to be tempted by Satan by himself. And once he died on a cross by himself. That's about it when we see times where Jesus was off completely isolated with no one within arm's distance or reach of him. And so, yes, he hung around people who needed God, but guess who was always with him? His community, his apostles, his three, his disciples. There was a crowd with him all of the time. And so we want to influence people far from God. So this is not a call to say you can't have any friends who don't know Jesus. That goes against the core of who we are, right? We want to have influence with people outside of the church. But what it means is the, the ones I spend the most time with are going to ultimately affect me and impact me. In fact, in Proverbs thirteen twenty, King Solomon, thousands of years ago, he said it like this. He who walks with the wise grows what? Wise. But a companion of fools suffers harm. So in other words, you show me your friends, I'll show you who you're becoming. Including if you have no friends. If you have no friends, we'll show you who you're becoming. So if you hang around people who are positive, faith-filled, love Jesus, you're going to become positive, faith-filled, you're going to love Jesus. On the other hand, I guess we, we've beaten this horse enough, right? The horse is dead. We get it. You're going to be like those you keep company with. And so we've learned in this series that uh, when it comes to life and friendship, there are three types of poverty. There's material poverty, uh, some of us can relate to that, right? We, we're broke, don't have any money, don't have any stuff. We walk everywhere. So there's material poverty. 
But there's also spiritual poverty. You can have all the stuff in the world, right? And still not have the most important thing, which is hope in Jesus. In fact, Jesus said that in Mark 8, 36. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? So it's true that you can have all the money in the world uh, and not have a spiritual relationship, a relationship with God, and, and, and still be lacking. But here's another thing. You can have all the money, and you can have all of the religion in the world. But if you're alone in that, you're not going to grow. You're going to be broke as a joke relationally. So what we want to do in this, this message today is really kind of uh, put together the pieces of what the Bible says about community so that we can leave here encouraged and motivated to develop and strengthen the most important community that we can have. The most important aspect, I think, of our faith is our relationship with each other. That's with real people. Social media, we're going to talk about in a little bit, you know, the, the virtual nature of how we relate has tricked many of us into thinking that we have real friendships. And as we've talked about in this friending series, we know that's not true. Virtual, it just means almost. It's almost reality. Virtual reality, right? It's almost reality. Well, a virtual friend is an almost friend. I don't know about you. I don't want to have almost friends. I want to have people that I'm really, truly doing life. When you're broke and stuck down on the side of the road, do you want to have someone almost help you out and fix your tire? When you're sick in the hospital, you want someone to almost show up and be there for you in your time of need? Of course not. We want people who are really there, so that's why we engage in community. So we're going to unpack that today. Let me ask you a serious, deep, spiritual question, okay? Have you ever been to a dinner theater? Serious? I'm glad some of you laughed that that's not spiritual and deep. It's 11 o'clock. We're awake, right? You've been to a dinner theater, medieval times. Anyone been to medieval times? Anyone been to the Dixie Stampede? Dinner theater experience, yes, some of us have. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I absolutely loved the the couple times, three, that I've been to uh, the Dixie Stampede. It's amazing, amazing experience. If you haven't been to one, let me break it down for you. What happens is after you uh, buy your ticket, they usher you into what's called the pre-show room. And uh, someone's up on the stage playing some music, and there's dancing, and they're selling you popcorn for $7 and sodas for $15, you know, trying to, because the $70 admission price wasn't enough, so they're tricking you with this little snack and a show. Um, and it's, just, it's a fun time. It's live. You're getting hyped up. They've got some people to do that. Once the pre-show's over, they escort you into the main arena, and it's an arena, like big stadium seating, big bowl big, you know, open area on, on the ground. They sit you in your row. And at the Dixie Stampede, when I went, they divided the house into two sides. Uh, it was kind of a Civil War-themed show. So one side was the north. And you can guess the side they stuck me on because that makes sense. Someone didn't read their history book, right? So you're supposed to cheer for your team. So there's the awkwardness of me sitting on the Confederate side like, no, there's no way in the world I'm going to cheer for Dixie. I don't care how much money y'all charge me, right? So we're, we're in there and, and the show goes and there's a battle and there's sword fights and there's horses running around and there's lights and smoke and there's Dolly Parton on the screen wearing a red, white, and blue dress that she has no business fitting into and there's all this stuff, you know, uh, going on in this show. And it's exciting. While that's happening, this machine machine of a food service is coming by. I mean, they're bringing you, here's a salad, here's some bread. Just when you take the last bite of one side, here's your next thing, here's the entree. It's like a six-course awesome meal. Here's your chicken to eat, like a whole chicken, you know, eat this. It's just a really cool experience. Fast, furious, full of entertaining. Of course, in the middle of all that, some of the people on my road still found some things to complain about. You know, it was too dark, it was too light, the ice wasn't hot enough, right? You know, the, the coffee wasn't cold enough, you know, it was just always, I said that like that for a reason, right? That, seriously, they found something to complain about. Nevertheless, it was efficient service, it was really good, it was, it was great. Once everything is over, 
uh, the servers, they kind of stand at the end. So imagine you get up to leave here and go to your aisle, and the server is right at the aisle, kind of with that passive-aggressive handout, like, I know we charged you 70 bucks to get in here, and you paid $15 for stale popcorn, now tip me. Uh, so that you, they, they do that. Then they escort you out of the building through the gift shop, because, you know, they just need to milk you for a little bit more money. And then it's over. And the more I think about that fun dinner theater experience, uh, it makes me think about what church life has become to many. Now, none of you, right? But for some people, church life has become exactly like that dinner theater. Here's what I mean. We think about biblical community in the church. For a lot of people, they pay their dues. That makes them members who deserve what they've paid for. So they give a regular tithe or an offering. They pay their dues. They demand to be entertained. The music has to be the right volume. The lights need to be set the right way. The temperature needs to be perfect. The preacher better say exactly what I need him to say and address the topics that are important to me. So I want service my way. We demand that everyone else gives us first-class service with a smile, regardless of our demand, regardless of our sourpuss look, regardless of how grumpy we are. We want everyone to love us and smile at us. And God forbid someone doesn't shake our hand or talk to us. You know, we want to leave the church over that. We take sides against people we don't really know, like in that dinner theater, cheering against the other side. And when it's all over, we tip or we serve based on how full we feel afterwards. Now, it got really quiet in here. I don't know if that's because you're convicted or you're still trying to figure out why they sat me on the Confederate side. Nevertheless, the point is this. For a lot of people, biblical community looks just like that. But Justin Buzzard says this, the fact of the matter is that God hasn't called us to put on a Sunday show. We're called to be a community of disciples on mission. The Bible tells us when we say we're going to follow Jesus, when we say yes to him, receive his grace, that his spirit enters us and we become the body of Christ. We become the church. So this is just the great escape theater until you show up. It's not because we put out a sign on the street. It's not because we change the environments. God is with us and in us. And when we show up, the power of God, the presence of God shows up with us. And that is what happens in authentic biblical community. The power and presence of God is concentrated in a community group, in a small group, in a serve team. And that is how life changes. That's where deep, authentic, real community takes place. So if that type of community is important, why? Is it missing in our lives? Why is it missing, that deep, authentic relationship? Well, Chris and I, we're, we're kind of church nerds. We're, we're students of the church. Uh, we, we research the church and church trends. It's what we're called to do. So we're always thinking about how can we make the experience of biblical community better. And in some of our research, uh, we, we found three ways, really, that are impacting us. And I know Chris talked a little bit about some of these last week. But I just want to kind of recap those. Three things that really cause us to be relationally poor. What causes relational poverty? First thing is this, increased mobility. We don't stay one place long enough to really engage and get deep. I'm a veteran, so I understand that rhythm of you're somewhere for three years, then it's time to pop smoke and you go. Then you get to a new station and you're there seven days. True story. I was at Fort Campbell for seven days before I got on a plane to go to Iraq for a year. You just show up to a brand new duty station and then you're gone. You get back from deployment, go on leave, then you go to the field for three months, then it's back JRTC, then it's back to that cycle of being deployed, up and down, up and down, always gone. So if anyone understands this, it's our community, right? We understand that rhythm of come and go, come and go. The average American moves once every five years. If you're between the ages of 20 and 40, you'll move once every three years. I personally have moved 21 times in 36 years. That doesn't count micro-movements associated with the military. 
Thank God that Clarksville is now home. I've been here for 13 years minus one year in Iraq. But it's really hard to develop long-term relationships, right, when you're just going to be gone. In fact, some of us are a little guarded because we know they're just going to leave anyway. So why make friends? Why get in a, in a group? Because I know this guy's military and he's just going to go. So increased mobility has messed us up, caused us to be relationally poor. Second thing is this, modern conveniences. I love technology. I love modern conveniences. But really, they have changed the way that we do relationships. Back in the day, if you drive through older neighborhoods closer to downtown Clarksville, you'll see big front porches. You'll see homes that are close to sidewalks, close to the street. Because back in the day, community life, that's how it happened. You got off work, you sat on your front porch, you talked to your neighbors, you engaged. The backyard, that's where the garden was. That's where dad's uh, tool shed was. That's where you might have went and whooped your kids so the neighbors didn't see you, right? That's the stuff that happened in the backyard. You didn't do that in the front yard. You go to the modern homes that we live in today in suburbia, and where does the party happen? Out back, on our deck, you know, in our privacy. If you're kind of a hypo, hyper-introverted guy like me, man, everything happens inside your house. The AC is cranked down low. You have the blinds drawn. This is the fortress of solitude, right? Things are good inside because all the modern technology makes it easy for me to want to hang out in the man cave. Ain't nobody got time for mosquitoes in summer heat. I'm sorry. I, I, I love you, but I don't want to hang out on your porch. I'll hang out in your house, right? feet kicked up on the on the couch right but i don't hang out in the heat so modern conveniences are great but they've impacted the way we do relationship back when i was younger when someone called our house you actually had to deal with them like you had to answer the phone or deal with the incessant ringing right then we got a a a answering machine and it was about this big and it had a cassette tape you uh, talk to me afterwards i'll tell you what a cassette tape is some of y'all don't know anything about that but it had a cassette tape and you could record your message and it was the the best thing and then they really changed the game and came out with caller id right and, and and some of you use that too much if you're an iphone user and i call you and your phone goes to voicemail the first time i know that you looked and saw it was me and hit mute right if it rings four times then it went to voicemail legitimately but if it goes to voicemail right away Stop fronting like you didn't ignore my call. Some people, I, you, you don't go anywhere without your phone, but when I text you, it's radio silence for like two hours. I know what's up, right? Caller ID, you don't want to deal with me in that moment. Hey, I do the same thing to you, since we're being honest. It's a safe place. Uh, I ignore your calls too. No. But caller ID, it's a great convenience. Isn't it awesome to know who's calling? You can brace yourself, get ready for that conversation, ignore that bill collector, whatever. Don't ignore your bill collectors. But you can, you know what I'm saying? It, you can embrace it. But it's caused us to think that we're really engaging when we're not. It messes us up. Social media. Go to onechurch.tv. Go click on our media app. Watch the sermon. In, in week one, this was covered at, at, at length. Uh, great talk there about social media. We even talked a little bit about this in our What Would Jesus Say series, how social media has tricked a bunch of fools into thinking they're experts. You guys remember that line? Social media has caused us to think we're really in relationship when we're not. And it's messed up. It's caused us to be relationally poor. Here's what happens. You're sad. You're frustrated, and so you go on to the Facebook, and uh, you post something and say, you know, uh, a post like this. You go, oh, I'm so tired. Well, things are going to get better one day. Well, I'm just going to keep trying my best, but God knows my heart. Well, some people, they just don't. Some of you are posting that right now, right? Trying to worship, but this guy keeps talking, right? Those passive-aggressive posts. Though someone please comment and engage with me. Oh, I had such a rough day. We just vaguely throw out this stuff because what we need and crave is a real-life human being to put their hand on our shoulder and be there for us and listen. But social media has tricked us into thinking that we're going to get the fix that way. Or we 
take our phone and we reverse the camera and we pose and we do our duck lips, our peace sign or the infamous bathroom selfie and we take a million pictures of ourselves because we might not have someone really in our life to say, you're beautiful, you're awesome, that looks great, that shirt looks great. And so we post it online for everyone to see and we fill up our feed with tons of pictures of ourselves because we want someone to hit what? Like. And that like becomes like a heroin to us. It's addicting. It feeds our narcissism. It feeds our sense of self because we just want someone to like us. For you holy rollers in the room, right? You say the humble brag. Well, I'm just so blessed that I get to be here and preach in front of 200 people. That's just so, I'm just saying that so I can say, hey, look at me. Look what I get to do. Oh, it's such a blessing to be here on this beach with my feet kicked up. God is good. You just want everyone to know that you're on the beach while we're stuck in the office, right? Don't bring Jesus into your arrogance, right? You're just trying to brag. Now, not every selfie is arrogant and not every home, but you guys get what I'm saying. It's a fake thing we're doing when really the need we want met, someone to love us, someone to like us, someone to connect with us, someone to celebrate with us, that need is actually met in real world community. Thank God for social media, but it doesn't cure loneliness. Thank God for modern technologies, but it's, it's not real relationship. Thank God that we move around a lot. But moving around a lot is not an excuse for us not to engage in community. Here's our big idea, and it's the good news. You might be, you are one community away from changing the course of your destiny. You're one community away, one relationship away from God doing something big in you, big through you, and using you to change someone else's life. I'm convinced that the answer to our prayers is found in community. The person to your left and your right is often the one that God uses to get you out of a jam, to pray for you when you're sick, to celebrate for you when you finally graduate from nursing school, to be the person that's there for you when you're knocked down and you need it. When we follow Jesus and we say yes to him, we become a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. That's what the church is, a big, messy community, not the location, not the building. It's us. And you might be one group away from having this crew of committed followers of Christ who do life with you in the highs and in the lows, from changing the course of your family, one group away. At onechurch.tv and at Grace Life, our groups have literally changed the world. We've supported foreign missionaries in other countries, bringing the gospel where the gospel's never been preached. We've renovated each other's homes. We've brought food when someone was sick. We've been there when your babies were born. We've prayed for you when someone has passed away. My church family helped me pay for my mother's funeral. That doesn't happen without community. We have saved lives through supporting the Hope Pregnancy Center here in Clarksville, Tennessee. We fed the hungry through Mana Cafe. That didn't happen because we have a big outreach ministry. It happened because outreach isn't something we do. Outreach is who we are. And that outreach happens through our communities. And our churches, doing life together is not a cliche we slap on a program. It truly is a way of life. At Grace Life Church and at One Church, we don't do small groups. We are a small group church. We are small groups. And so in our community groups, what you see is a reflection, a modern day reflection of the pattern set by the early church found in Acts chapter two. I told you we would get there and I think we're going to zoom in here. And as we zoom in and look at this biblical community, I think we're going to be encouraged in our progress and 
we're going to be challenged to do more when it comes to community. So let's read. We're going to start reading in Acts chapter 2. We're going to read verse 42 to 47. It'll be on the screen, but if you have a version app, go to the events, find one church's uh, event, and follow along with us there. It says this, they devoted themselves. Who is the they? So in Acts chapter 2, we're hearing the story of the birth of the church. So this is eventually 3,000 plus people who all said yes to Jesus. They became followers of Christ along with the original apostles. And so this is kind of the afterword of their story of how God showed up and the church uh, became a thing. And it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. So they devoted themselves. It wasn't a half-hearted thing. It was all in. So they were all in to the Word of God. That's the apostles' teaching. They were all in when it came to fellowship and breaking bread. That's community, doing life together. And they were all in when it came to prayer, meaning it wasn't about them. They cared about others' needs. To be devoted truly means to give yourself to someone or something out of love. Say love. Or to give yourself to someone or something out of loyalty. Say loyalty. So love and loyalty are what it means to be truly devoted. I'm devoted uh, to someone, and, and I'll never forget the day that we first met. I was nervous, had the butterflies, the dry lip. We'd communicated via the latest technology for a long time, but when we finally laid eyes on each other, it was truly like love at first sight, like I was head over heels. Now, I was 9 or 10 years old, right? So I was as in love as a 9 or 10-year-old could be. But the first day I ever saw a real-life Tampa Bay Buccaneer football player in the flesh, I was all in. Like, I have found why I should wake up in the morning, right? There's Jesus, my wife, sometimes my kids, and then the Bucks, right? I'm just playing. I love my boys, right? Only when they cheer for the Bucks. We can get all crazy about sports fans, right? Sports teams, and, and that's good stuff, and, 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 and do that. But ask ourselves, are we really devoted to the community of believers? If there was a, a onechurch.tv football jersey, would we wear that with the same pride that we wear our Titans jersey? Some of us will be afraid because we do some things, you know, on Monday and Tuesday. We might not want someone to know uh, that we're a reflection of the church, right? Some of you don't have a one church sticker on your car for that reason, right? Because we might drive like, here's what you do. Go get a First Baptist Church of Clarksville sticker and put that on. <laughs> Pastor Larry is my dear friend, so I'll say that. Go get, get a LifePoint Church sticker and then drive like a maniac. Mike Burnett will love you for that, right? Uh, but in all seriousness, are we devoted with love and loyalty? Do we have each other's love and loyalty like we would to a sports team. Let's keep reading. It says, everyone was filled with awe. So who's everyone? So they, that's the early church, everyone is the outsiders, everyone who was not yet a part of that church. And they were all filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers, don't miss this, all of the believers were together and they had everything in common. Now, I'm not saying that this is a call for us to live a communal lifestyle and go move together on a farm and make our own butter and sew our own hemp bracelets. And if you want to do that stuff, that's fine. This is not a call to a communal lifestyle necessarily. But what it means is we're family. And so what I have, you have. Their culture was about each other, the opposite of what our culture is today, which it's all about self. Biblical community has to be countercultural and that it demonstrates a better way of doing life. It's not about us. See, to be a member of something uh, means that the body to which you belong owes you something. Membership invokes thoughts of entitlement. Like, I'm a member of Sam's Club, so I demand to buy mayonnaise by the gallon. You better have my appetizers waiting for me when I'm walking down all seven, or I'm going to have a fit, right? Because I'm a member. I paid a high price to be in here. Give me what I want. And for some, not you, but for some, 
that's what they think church is supposed to be. I'm a member, so I want it my way, and I want to say in everything, and I want to know everything that's going on, and I want to control everything, but that is not what biblical community is about. At OneChurch.tv and Grace Life Church, biblical community is not about membership. It's about ownership. We use that language on purpose because this is our church together. We have a stake in this. We have to be involved in this. We're not building a nice country club to keep the outsiders away who have to show the right ID to get in. No, we're building a great big hospital for messy people like you and I to come and be saved and healed and touched by Jesus and be influenced by this great community. In order for that to happen, we all have to do our part. We all have to engage in community. And the reason the early church was able to thrive and grow so exponentially, it's because they were all in. They weren't consumers, they were contributors. They weren't members, they were owners. Now you might be thinking, doesn't the Bible say that we're all members of the body? Yes, it says that in 1 Corinthians 12, but it says we're members of the body in the context of selflessness. Basically, the Bible says, if you're a foot, don't be jealous of the ear. If you're an eye, stop trying to be the nose. Everyone has a part to play. We're all in this together. Let's keep reading. Verse 45 says this, They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So catch that. They gathered together in the temple courts. That's what we're doing today. This is the temple courts, obviously. But they gathered in a big, big environment where we could all worship and make a big deal about God, make a big deal about Jesus. They broke bread in their homes. That's our community groups. That's our small groups. That's our our serve teams. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They did life together. And then the Lord added to their number daily. That shows us when we follow this pattern of biblical community, we do our part. So we engage in community together. And God's always going to show up and do his part, which is adding to our community those who are being saved. Aren't you glad that you don't have to save anyone? Aren't you glad that you don't get to fix hearts? That's what God does. We just set that environment where people can come and be connected. So real quick, I want to give you three principles for great Christian community. Three practices of great Christian community. These are three things I think if we do in biblical community, it changes the game, it changes our lives. The first one is this, do lunch. Do lunch. Now, not necessarily literally lunch, but do a food type environment with people. A lot of you are looking at, man, I don't have time to get in a small group. I'm a busy person. Here's what you do have time to do. Stuff your face. We all eat at least twice a day. If you didn't, you wouldn't be around too long, right? So one great way to, to intentionally engage in community with people is to buy back, to redeem the time you already spent eating by sharing a meal with other people. Jesus ate. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, give us at least 10 specific moments where Jesus ate with other people. That doesn't include all the other feasts and observances. So that was a part of his life. Food was always there. Food is a great equalizer because when we share a meal together, we're, we're human. No matter how rich you are, how poor you are, if you're an introvert, if you're an extrovert, whatever it is, when we eat, we all eat a chicken wing the same way. Sloppy and messy, right? You can't fake that. Please don't be the person with a fork and a knife trying to be cute eating your fried chicken. Just pick the thing up and eat it, right? We're not impressed. We know how you eat when you're by yourself. Ice cream drooling all down your face, right? You know, uh, spaghetti stains on your shirt. When you eat, it doesn't matter how put together you think you are. We all become equal when we do that. Food is a great way to, to break that barrier. And 
breaking bread with people, eating with people, it's also a cool way to introduce prayer into community. A lot of us, we have the culture of we pray. We say a prayer of thanks before we eat. I've seen sometimes that I can actually have a prayer meeting praying like a preacher, right? I'll pray about everything else and then remember, oh yeah, and bless this food too. But even in a lunch meeting with a guy, I can pray for their needs, we can pray for each other, and oh yeah, bless the food, and then let's eat. So, you want to do community, good, strong biblical community, they do lunch. They do a meal together. Second thing is this, do life. Jesus did life with his disciples. They saw him eat and sleep. They were with him when his breath was funky from waking up after a long day after they ate garlic that night, right? Just being honest. They were with him, you know, eating fish. They were with him walking around. They were with him when he laughed at jokes. They probably saw him frustrated from time to time. They were with Jesus in every single one of his moments. They saw him at his strongest, like when he's walking on water, and they saw him at his most exposed when he was naked on a cross, dying for their sins. They had access to him because they did life together. Does anyone outside of your immediate family have access to your life? Strong biblical community means I've got to open up and I've got to let people in. I've got to let people in my life. Pastor Chris calls this uh, refrigerator rights. When you're really my friend, you know where the cabinet is, you know where the fridge is, you can come on in and grab something. You have that access. You don't have to ask to fix a drink when you come over to the house. Just get it. Another part of doing life, though, is we know each other's flaws. Chris uses a term called flawed feet. Now, he preaches barefoot, so I'll let you catch him up here, and you can talk about what flawed feet are. I don't want to throw him under the bus, but some of y'all are snickering because you know what I'm talking about, right? No, at Grace Life, we say we all have a bag of junk that we carry around. All of our stuff still stinks from time to time. You know what I'm talking about? We all have a mess. We all have a flaw. We all have something that we really don't want people to know about, but people know about it anyway. Lest you think we don't know, we already know. So quit trying to, to fake the funk. We already know that you're flawed and that you're broken. So am I. But in community, we can share that with each other when we do life together. So do life, do lunch, and then finally, do love. This should go without saying, right? It's the heartbeat of biblical community is love. Remember, that's what to be devoted means out of love and loyalty. So do love. If, if we don't have a genuine love for each other, a genuine love for God, then what are we even doing? So you can't do community without people, right? And if there's one thing people need more than anything, it's love. Why do people need love? Well, one, the Beatles said so, right? And two, Jesus says it. The Bible says it. In fact, in Romans 5.8, it says God demonstrated His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates love by giving something away. For God so loved the world. That's how we all got into this Jesus thing. Because of someone loving and giving. When you develop a genuine love for those that you're in community with, you're going to find it easier to pour your life into them, to give back. Jesus said that too. The greatest love we have is to give our life for a friend. Love is what helps you answer the phone call at 1030 when you'd rather be watching TV. Love is what motivates you to listen to someone's problem. Love helps you forgive as you've been forgiven. Love helps us fight the good fight when we're tired and we want to give up. Love helps us stick together. Love helps us have each other's back. The Bible says it best. Love never fails. So real biblical community, it's about love and it's about loyalty. First to God and then to each other. In a minute, I'm going to invite you to pray with me and the band is going to come back up and they're going to lead us in in one more song. But let me just kind of wrap up with this with this question onechurch.tv grace life church let me ask you where are you at when it comes to community are you all in devoted 
Or are you sitting on the sidelines doing nothing, hanging out with no one? Remember, we're going to become like the company we keep. And I don't don't know about you, but I am my own worst enemy. So the last person I want to spend too much time with is this crazy guy right here, right? I need you. I need to be sharpened. I need another set of eyes to look at things. I need people to, to walk with me and pray with me. And I thank God that I get to experience that in biblical community. I get to lead and serve in a small group that meets the second and fourth Wednesday of every, every week. We call it Warrior Wednesday because every man needs a band of brothers. It's a, a men's group that I, I love these guys. Every Tuesday morning, I meet with some pastor friends where we can do life together and share a meal and, and hang out and pray for each other. During the week, multiple times, I get to do real life with several people at Grace Life Church through through being an instructor at Gracie Baja Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Academy here in Clarksville, Tennessee. A lot of pastors would dream about getting to choke out church members, and I get to live that dream every single week. It's a glorious thing. Uh, come see me if you want some lessons, right? It's, a, it's an awesome thing that I get to do life and engage. It, it changes me. It blesses me. It challenges me. It helps me. Where are you at? Are you alone? If you find yourself in a room of this many people and you feel alone, I can tell you that the issue is not the people. The issue is probably you're not fully engaged. We want to do everything we can at onechurch.tv and at Grace Life to connect you, but you still have to take that step. We all have a step to take, and you have to take that step. Are you so over people that you'd rather go at it alone? Do you just participate in the Sunday show? Let me encourage you. Let me dare you try it God's way. Now, we're doing the 90-day tithe challenge at One Church. So, you know, the, the, the big idea of that is, listen, uh, we know God's word is true and test God. And if God doesn't prove himself, we'll give you the money back. I wish we could do a relationship challenge, but here's the thing. One, it's impossible for me to give you time back because that's not a thing. Uh, I'm not a time lord or the son of a time lord like Dr. Who. So I can't, I can't go back in time and give you those days back. Um, and two, I know that biblical community works. So I don't need to do that guarantee because I promise you, if you get engaged, it's going to absolutely change your life. I dare you, start doing things God's way. You're going to experience the life change that only happens in community. We are better together. We have a group link coming up at One Church, a great opportunity for you to get involved in groups. Grace Life Church, our groups are growing, and we have an opportunity to continue to grow. This, these, our church is coming together. It's a beautiful opportunity for all of us to meet new people, to make room in our lives, to start doing community together. God has orchestrated all of this for you and I to get off the sideline and get into community because we are truly better together. You might be one community away from changing the course of your destiny. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your power. Thank you for operating and functioning in community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I thank you, God, that you've modeled this way for us to be together, to do life together. My prayer is that if there's a person in this room God, who's not in the most important community, that is the family called the church. This would be the day, right where they are, that they would say, God, I want to be in this community. Would you forgive me, Lord? Help me. I'm sorry for messing up, for trying to go my own way. I can't do this on my own anymore. And I know, God, when we pray with a sincere heart and we confess where we failed, you do what only you can do. You save us and you bring us by your spirit into your great big body. I thank you, God, for touching lives and and saving your people. God, if there's someone here and they're kind of on the fence, sitting off to the side, isolated and alone. God, I pray that this new season of our churches becoming one, God, would be the the perfect catalyst for them to move forward to engage in a community group. Maybe they start small by being on a serve team. Maybe they start small by, by just saying hello to someone they've never met before. Whatever it is, help those, God, on the fringes to get into this core of doing life. And God, for those in this room who are already all in, 
in community groups, serving, I pray that, God, you would always let our eyes be focused outward. That it wouldn't become about us. That we wouldn't become a closed system. Instead, we would have a passion and a compassion for those who are not yet fully engaged in community. Help us as we walk the streets of Clarksville, as we walk the streets of, as we walk the halls of our Leap Plaza or the Great Escape. God, let us always have our eyes and our spiritual eyes open to see, God, those who we need to reach out to. I thank you for loving us so much that you reached out to us. Help us to do the same thing. Thank you for community, God. Thank you for connecting us. And I thank you in advance, God, for how you're going to continue to add to your church daily those who are being saved through community. We love you in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks.